Amen. Please be seated. And as you do so, I invite you to reach for your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude today, we will be looking at verses 17 to 23. You can also find this text on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's passage. We've been studying this letter for a few weeks now. We have made it through the heart of the letter, the, the middle section, where Jude really focuses on false teachers, false teaching, warning against them, educating us on them, preparing us for their coming, and most importantly, encouraging us to cling to Christ as the answer and solution to false teachers and to false teaching. He will continue that theme this morning as we look at the next section as we um, reach the conclusion of his letter. This section being one on perseverance. This section being one we really could title it, and, and we did the same in Peter, the so what passage. So what? False teachers are coming. They have a message. They have a, 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 a desired goal, a desired outcome. So what? What do we as believers do in response to that? And again, he will go back to what he has stated before, cling to Christ. And this is one of the reasons, to be honest, I wanted to study this book, and it's also why scholars attach it to Peter, often in study as we have, covering First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude as one um, literary unit. Um, it's one that teaches us how to stand faithfully during trials. And I love what Jude does this morning. He, he teaches us how we are to persevere. He doesn't just say, persevere, good luck. But he says, persevere, and here's how. And that's why I think it's powerful for the church, and I think it's beneficial for us even to this day. With that being said, would you please, please follow along with me as I read the word of the Lord for us this morning. I would like to begin in verse 17 and read through verse 23. Please follow along with me. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. May you, will you please go with me now to the Lord in prayer as we ask for his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, through your word we have been challenged to persevere, to stand firm, to endure trials, to know the truth, to believe the truth, and to live the truth out in our lives and in our families' lives. Father, we recognize now that we've heard what is right. It is only by your Spirit that we will apply it, that we will do that which is commanded of us. 
And so I pray, O oh Lord, that through the power of your Spirit, would you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we might trust in you this day, and that we might seek to follow your commands for your glory and for our good. I pray this for everyone here, from the youngest to the oldest, and those listening to us online. O oh Lord, would you use this passage to draw us to yourself. We pray all of these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. In some ways, remembrance is one of the most powerful tools that we have. Throughout this letter, if you've been with us for the series, Jude has reminded us again and again and again and again and again and again and again of what took place in the Old Testament and the lives of Israel, of the angelic beings, in the various moments and times. And sometimes that was a remembrance of victory, a remembrance of this is what it looks like to follow God, to stay true, to listen to His commands and to live them out. But sadly, most of the examples given are actually um, examples of failures. And this is interesting. By seeing these failures, Jude using them as, as, as kind of negative examples, he does so for the sake of the New Testament church. It helps the New Testament church be better prepared to face similar situations by seeing how those that had gone before them didn't do well. You know, there's a, a movie that our boys love watching, and, and I admit I do too. Uh, it's a movie called Pets 2. And in this movie, there's a farm dog named Rooster, played by Harrison Ford. Great, great character. And he's giving this story, this lesson about life to these city dogs. And he, he, he shares this memory. He says, one time I bit into an electric cord and you know what happened? It shocked me. And I walked backwards for a week. And the dogs look in horror, and then he looks at them and says, guess how many times I did it? Once. And he, he, he gives this story to these city dogs then, to this point that sometimes all it takes is one experience, one lesson, one understanding of that which happened for you not to want to do it. And the hope is that the city dogs now won't go bite into electric cords. They don't have to experience it themselves. They're hearing someone give testimony of what happens. Well, in a, a, a similar fashion, that's been Jude's um, tool. That's been what he has been doing for us. He's not encouraging us to bite the proverbial extension cord. He is saying, here is how people have fallen into sin. Here is how false teachers have gotten a place of prominence and power. Here is how false teachers have distracted and disrupted the life of the church. And don't do it. And not only just don't do it, as I alluded to earlier, persevere. Persevere. He gives us three commands in his passage that help us, that, that teach us how to not do that which is wrong and rather do that which is right. First, the, the important step in persevering, know the enemy. Know what you are facing. Know the tactics and the schemes of the evil ones. We see this in verses 17 to 19. Secondly, Jude 
commands us, stand firm in the love of God. We know that which is false, and we rest in that which is true. And we find that in verses 20 to 21. And then thirdly, he says, show mercy and fear sin in the final two verses. And each of these, in their own way, will equip us to persevere through times of persecution and particularly false teaching. So let's consider each of them this morning. Jude starts off right right at the beginning. He really leans in here. Know the enemy you are facing. And this is why he has spent so much of his time preaching against false teachers. Um, If you have your chapter headings, you know that most of this book is judgment on false teachers. We could say verse 3 through, um, through verse 16. Jude also recognizes, though, that it may not be enough that he says it. It may not be enough that he alone makes this point, and so he, he points outward. He points to others. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers, following ungodly passion. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, I bring up here that remember is not simply to have that knowledge in there, to to bank it as if you were a Jeopardy contestant, and to be able to regurgitate it at a moment's notice. Uh, It's, uh, particularly if you look in the Greek, it's, it's got more a contemplative, it's got more a, I dwell on this, I use this, so I think about it, I reflect on it, and I'm able to apply it. There's a deep level of him saying here, put to use that which you have been taught. And so I, just, I say that at the outset because he's, he's calling us to remembrance here. He's not saying, just think about it. But he says, dwell on it. And he, he, he points to others. Jude wants believers to see he's not been the only one writing about false teachers. And we would not have enough time today to look through all of the apostles' writings on false teachers and false teaching. So I picked a few just to draw our attention to, to, to make the point this morning. Uh, and, and, and probably most um, readily available to us would be Peter. Peter in Second Peter, verse 1, we, we preached on this several weeks ago. False prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will bring in secret destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Peter is quick to warn the church that false teachers have come in the past and will come in the life of the church. Again, similarly in 2 Peter 3.3, 3, um, and this may be what Jude is quoting, Scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Scoffing is mocking, it's, it's making fun of, it's belittling, it's, it's knowing what's being said and then rejecting it in, in kind of a mocking way. Peter, we looked to him, he wrote to warn the church and prepare them against false teachers. Peter wanted to strengthen believers And Jude is pointing to Peter here, saying, don't just listen to me. Peter's saying the same thing. And there's there's an interesting point in that. Jude is telling us to do what? But use the Scriptures to interpret the Scriptures. A key biblical 
um, belief and practice that we have to this day. Don't just take my word for it. Read the rest of the scriptures and make sure they confirm what I'm telling you, which they do. We could also go to the Apostle Paul. Again, a lot of options we could have gone to, but I like a few places that he speaks on false teachers. Acts 20, 29, and 30 come to mind. After my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul is saying on on one of his first missionary journeys that false teachers are coming after me. That, that you are excited now as a young church plant and you are excited as you're drawn together by the word of God and, and this has got you excited to do missions and ministry and outreach, but just know that persecution quickly follows me. Persecution comes because the world hates what you believe. The world hates what you seek to do. The world hates the way in which you bring glory to God. So Jude points to the Apostle Paul here with his comment. Jude warns that scoffers will follow passion. The idea here is they will do this against the word of God. Peter said they would bring destructive heresy, denying the master, following their own desires. Paul calls them fierce wolves, devouring the flock and speaking twisted things. We have three instances here, and I just I want to go to one more. Uh, Paul speaking to the, um, his, his dear uh, disciple and fellow pastor, Timothy, um, summarizes it really well. 2 Timothy 3. Remember, Timothy's a pastor of a, a young church, new in ministry, and he tells him this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Understand this. In the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he closes with this, avoid such people. There, I could not give you a greater description of false teachers than that. I I could not give you a a greater example of of those that follow the world than this. This is the list. This, This does describe who they will be. And soberly, as as we think about what was going on in the days of Jude, and we look at our days today, we come to a quick conclusion. We're in the same boat. Isn't this what we're facing today, dear church? Isn't this the opposition that the devil has, has brought against us? The point being made here, if you find yourself wondering, is someone a false teacher? Hold them up to the book. Does their life, does their actions, does their beliefs, does their practices, does it look like the fruit of the Spirit? Or, coincidentally enough, you can actually go up in that chapter to the fruit of the world, which looks just like this list that Paul tells Timothy. When, when you question someone, when you question your own heart, am I a true believer or do I 
really believe this or am I walking away from God? Well, what does your heart look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, godliness, gentleness, and self-control or, or a list more like this. Honestly, assess yourself. The key to understanding and, and standing against false teachers is knowing who they are and what they believe. And it becomes very apparent, even those that, that are in the church, even those that have snuck in, and even those that, that, that profess faith, their lives will reveal what's going on. Out of the heart the mouth speaks, out of the abundance of that which is within you. You cannot help it. A pitcher that has water in it will pour out water. A pitcher with dirt will pour out dirt. That which is within us will come out of us. And so we must, to be able to persevere against false teachers and against their message, we must know who they are and that which they seek to do. But even more than that, while, while that is a worthwhile goal and, and it is true that that's the case, I would say even more than that, if you want to weight these points, point one is, is, is very important, but the second one is all the more Stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm in the grace and love of God. Jude starts in verse 20 with a, with a hard shift. He, he summarizes his point on false teachers. He's, he's said his piece with that all the way back to verse 3. And then he turns. He turns away from rebuking and correcting and warning of false teachers. And then he turns to the church and says, But you, beloved. And don't miss two important points about this transition. He is speaking to people loved by God and loved by Jude. He is speaking to people he cares about deeply that shares his love for the Father. They are beloved to him, precious. And closely related to that, don't miss that he's about to help them. He's not just going to give them a whole list of warnings and thou shall nots and stay away from this and be careful with this and fear this. But he turns to say, now, here is who you should be. Here is how you should act. You should live. And he does it with four instructions. Starting in verse 20. You, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Build up, pray, keep in the love of God, and wait for Jesus. These are the action steps that Jude offers to the church to help them stand firm in light of false teaching. Let's consider each just for a moment. Build up in holy faith. His first instruction now, when we think about faith, it's helpful to consider this from two angles. What does God do and what do we do? And, I, and as I was thinking about this, two questions from our uh, Confession of Faith Shorter Catechism came to mind that I think really help answer uh, this. Question 30, how does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? And it answers, the Spirit applieth to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. We must acknowledge, as we talk about strengthen our faith, build up our faith, grow in our faith, 
that faith is a gift from God. We have to start there. Faith is a gift of God granted to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so anytime you talk about building up faith, you have to be careful because we're not saying you create your own faith. Go make more faith. That's not what I'm saying here, and that's not what the Bible is saying either. Faith is granted to us by God. By His grace, He allows us to strengthen it in Him and through Him. But that which we have, we have by Him. And so when we're told to build up our faith, we recognize, first off, the only way we can build it is because He has given it. Second one, question 86. What is faith in Jesus Christ? The Catechism answers, Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby... We receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. So when we consider Jude's words, build up your faith, we recognize this is done through the Holy Spirit and is accomplished in a couple of ways. When you receive the work of Christ and when you rest on the work of Christ as it has been given to us in the gospel. Our faith grows when we submit to Jesus. Our faith grows when we rest in His work, not our own. Our faith grows when we apply the gospel to our lives. And that's not a one-time act. That's a daily necessity. This is what it means to grow in our faith. And this will protect us against false teachers. For you will not need the seductive lies of the false teachers if you're constantly asking, how can I apply Jesus to my life more? How can I understand Him more? How can I live like Him better? How can I love others the way He has loved me? You see, if you use that, you'll have no room left to entertain the false messages of the false teachers. You will be so full of God that there's no room for their seductive lies. From there, so we we grow in our faith, he tells us to pray. And again, specifically, he uses some interesting words here, pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, one quick word, this does not mean, as I've heard people say before, to pray in some super secret prayer language, not in some language of the angels, not in some tongues or anything like that. Now, that's not specifically what this is talking about, but I've had society tell me this. Let me just state this. If God has granted you a language that you know, pray in that language. There you go. You want to you pray in a, in a heavenly language? Pray in the one He's granted you. That's heavenly because He hears it and He knows it. That's sufficient. And if you're not comfortable with that, the Scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. He's praying for us. We can pray to God. That's really all I want to say this morning about that. But I just I want, I want to I bring that up because I, I've had this brought to me that Uh, to use it in that kind of twisted way. So I I discourage the use there. But what does it mean? What does it mean to pray to God in, um, in or by or through the Holy Spirit? Well, it means to pray in accordance with the word and will of God. We're called to pray like God told us to pray, which would look like, oh, I don't know. How about the Lord's Prayer? Just a few moments ago, we confessed, God, we now pray to you the way Jesus taught us to pray. And we asked for our daily needs. We asked for forgiveness. 
We asked for the ability to forgive others. We asked to keep us and protect us and watch over us. We asked for His will to be done in our lives. We asked for Christ to return quickly. We give Him the credit. To Him be the glory and the power and the honor forever. Amen. That's what it looks like to pray in the Holy Spirit. It's to say, God, what you want for us, we want to. And help me want it. (laughs) Help me want what you want for me. And when we do that, it transforms our lives. It changes our prayers. It changes our actions. It changes our attitude. It changes our motives. It changes our motivations. It completely renovates every aspect of us because we find ourselves wanting what God wants. And when we want what God wants, we live a life of joy, peace, and happiness. And by the way, when you're doing that, you'll have no room for false teaching because <laughs> it'll look cheap. It, it, it'll look cheap compared to the goodness that you can have, the overflowing abundance of that which God provides. Grow in your faith. Pray to the Lord. And keep yourself in the love of God. I love what one commentator says. that A believer is nurtured as he is occupied with God's love for him and is in fellowship with him. To grow in the love of God is a reflection or remembrance of what God has done. I love what, John, or what Jesus says in John's gospel, John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So live in, rest in, grow in that love. How? Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. You want to grow in your love for God? Obey Him. Obey Him. It's, it, it's one of those things that's simple and it's complicated. It's simple because that's it. You want to grow in your love of God? Obey His Word. You want to push against that? Well, Jesus says He does it too. <laughs> and so you're, if you want to do it in another way, you're saying you want to do it better than Jesus. Good luck with that. Talk to me after if that's the case. But to grow in the love of God is to obey Him, to to listen to what He says. Which, by the way, when we've talked about this before in Jude, and we most certainly have in Peter, is far more joyful and fulfilling and satisfying than anything else we can do. When we love the way He's called us to love, when we live the way He's called us to live, when we give and praise and, and, and worship and work the ways that God has laid out for us in His Word, we find joy and peace. One of the reasons the false teachers, they, they promote their message so fiercely, they, they promote what they, what they believe so um, vigorously is because they don't have this. They don't have peace. They don't have joy. They don't have love. They don't have just the ability just to be at rest. They're fighting each and every day. They're, they're, um, they're, Johnny Cash comes to mind. They're kicking against the goads, which I know he's, he's quoting Scripture. They're just bucking the system. But I'm telling you that the way that we can protect ourselves and protect our family is just to stay in the love of God. That's to obey Him, to understand Him. And then finally, wait for the mercy of the Lord of Jesus Christ who adds and leads to eternal life. Look for His return. Be excited about it. Wait for it. For when he returns, all things will be made new. Judgment will come. Peter said it again and again. Jude has already said it. Judgment will come to those who reject Christ and those who have waged war against the church 
We take great comfort. We take great hope in the fact that this is a real day that is really coming. I cannot tell you exactly when it is, but I can tell you with 100% certainty we are one day closer to it than we were yesterday. We're one year closer to it than we were this time last year. Ten years and so on and so forth. You can just run the math back. We are closer today than we've ever been to the return of Christ. And when you look forward to that, when you, when you see that as the ultimate fulfillment of these things, when you, when you know on that day you will have the purest faith you've ever had because you can see Him, you, you will be in the Father's love and want to obey Him because He will rid sin from your life and He will make you new. You, you will desire to love, to obey, to give, to serve as He's commanded us. Boy, we, we look forward to that and we long for that. And when that's the reward, again, anything the false teachers can offer, it's cheap. It, it, it's, meh, you give me that, but this is what I've got. This is what is before me. This is what has been promised. Their, their attempts, it, in some ways, to be honest, it, it starts to look quite sad. It, it, it's like children with, with toy sticks and, and toy shields trying to conquer a fortress. They will face judgment for their actions. They ultimately have been and continue to fulfill the will of God. And so we shouldn't fear them. We should pity them. And in fact, Jude says, more so than that, we should have mercy on them. His, his final instruction for us for perseverance sake is to have mercy and fear sin. We see this in the final verses. I've mentioned all throughout the section really is about perseverance. And it's interesting to me, know your enemy, that makes sense. Follow these commands, that makes sense. But then his final act of, of, of perseverance is be merciful. Okay, Jude, that's an interesting take. Help me, help me here. Well, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I ask you a question this morning. What do unbelievers, false teachers, atheists, haters of Christians, and ignorant people all need? They all need one thing, the gospel. Every one of them. Every one of them, whether you call them apostate, false teachers, whether you call them unbelievers, agnostic, the, the, the title is irrelevant. They all need the Holy Spirit to awaken them to their need for salvation through Jesus Christ. They all need the instructions we were given in the previous section. They are without joy. They are without faith. They do not have hope. They do not obey God. They do not want to obey God. And how do they get it? By God's grace. How is that grace applied? By us mercifully preaching and teaching and sharing His Word with them. Our act of mercy is not letting them live in their sin. I am not saying when we see a false teacher, when, we, when they're in our midst, we just let them teach. That, that's, that's not mercy. That's not love. We come alongside them. We show them the truth, the error of their ways. We plea with them to turn to Christ and trust that He can do the work in their lives. Jude says by doing this, you will snatch some of them out of the fire. 
What a, what a powerful image. On, on the cusp of hell, on, on the cusp of eternal judgment, you get that imagery that they're standing over the lake of fire, teetering toward the edge. And by proclaiming this truth, sharing this gospel message, we keep them from falling. Now, let me be very clear again. There's theological error that can swoop in. We do not save anyone. Period. Jesus does. If you um, want a further discussion, any of you that had middle schoolers this morning, we talked about perseverance of the saints. They would love to explain it to you uh, from our confession. Jesus saves. Jesus saves, and he uses us sometimes as the instrument to get that message across. And oh, is that awesome. Do you you appreciate that this morning, dear church? The fact that you get to play a part in this? He really doesn't need us. (laughs) But he chooses to use us. Why? Probably out of humor. But really, because it brings all the more glory to him. He could do it on his own. He chooses to use us, broken vessels, so that his glory is all the more displayed. One last point I want to make this morning. Jude ends with this. When you take this path and you say to yourself, we say to ourselves as a church, our best tactic against false teachers is to meet them head on. Our tactic is to lovingly confront them. Be very careful of your own heart. When you wade into a world of sin, be very careful lest you be consumed by it yourselves. We must fear even the garments that they wear, recognizing that the sin that clings to them is a sin that very easily could cling to us. Jesus warns in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That passage is wrongly interpreted if you go back up to chapter 7, verse 1, of just judge not lest you be judged. Um, that's not what's being said at all. What's being said is you've got a tree trunk sticking out of your face. How do you think you can help someone else with their speck? Go to the Lord first with your own life, your own heart, your actions and your attitudes. Get the tree trunk out, and then you will be able to see the, the minor inconvenience, well, for them it's a tree trunk, but as you look at them, you should see it as, as, a, as a splinter. And with precision and with accuracy, you can take it out. We all have sin and struggles in our life. We should not, and, and I would even say it further, we must not look down on someone because their sin may look different than ours. Rather, repent of your own sin, seek to rid it from your own life, and that will better equip you to help those around us even those who are fierce opponents of the church. Remember here, we're not just talking about people that are living in ignorance. Jude is saying, preach and proclaim and profess this message to active opponents of the church. They are persecuting Christ and persecuting the church in this time. And he's saying to them, you go and you go carefully, but you go in the power of the Lord. I pray that this has been encouraging to you. I know that it has been a long series on false teachers, on their tactics and their goals. For me personally, this passage, as we wrap up a series, we wrap up a book and wrap up a series, has been particularly refreshing. It's isn't it isn't it relieving to hear that God has a plan for us to grow us and to protect us. 
that God has a plan for those that uh, contradict His message and, and, and assault His church. God calls us to perseverance, not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in Him. That's what we need. That's what the lost need. That's what everyone needs, to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and all that He has done for His people. Let's pray. Lord, it is humbling and refreshing to, to really hear this morning that the gospel is still applicable to our lives, that we still need it. It's not just a one-time truth. It is one to marinate on and, and to, as the cow chews the cud, to, to think about it, to regurgitate it and think about it again and over and over again, Lord, would we dwell on this truth? Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came, He lived, He died a perfect life of full obedience. His sacrifice was accepted. He rose from the dead and now is seated at the right hand of God the Father, praying for the church and for His people. And He longingly awaits the day in which He can come and take His bride. Lord, with King Jesus on the throne, praying for us and over us, what do we have to fear? How could we take any step other than to persevere, to stand firm, to hold fast to the truth? Oh, we're quick to forget. Which is why Jude tells us one of the best things you can do, dear Christian, is remember. Remember all that God has done, all that He said He would do, and all that He's doing in your life today and in the days to come. Lord, would you help us to remember these things, to live firm in them, and to trust you we thank you for these truths and ask, them you, ask you to apply them to our lives. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.